seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. The case against Lucy Letby is that she murdered or tried to kill 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Each one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. We'll be bringing you that detail as the jury is hearing it from the prosecution and defence. We're getting behind the headlines to explain far more than the news reports you'll be reading, watching and listening to. And the importance of a fair trial is paramount, so we won't be getting into anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. Today we're focusing again on the eighth baby in this case. Welcome to episode 13, Baby H, part 2. (music) 
So Liz, over the past couple of weeks, the jury have been hearing about what the prosecution say happened to baby H, a premature baby girl who Lucy Letby is accused of trying to murder twice on consecutive night shifts. That's right, Caroline. The jury heard that baby H was allegedly attacked by Lucy Letby, causing a cardiac arrest in the early hours of September the 26th. This was when Lucy Letby was her designated nurse and alone with her in the intensive care room on the neonatal unit. This week, we're going to focus on the second alleged attack, the following night. And what the jury have heard is that within 22 hours of that first attack, the prosecution say Lucy Letby attacked baby H again, causing another cardiac arrest. So, Liz, let's walk through what happened in the hours before. So, after being resuscitated in the early hours of September the 26th, the prosecution say baby H was stable for much of that day, but she remained poorly and she remained on a ventilator to help her breathe in the intensive care room, which we know is called Nursery One. And when Lucy Letby came back on duty later that day, at around half past seven, she was not Baby H's designated nurse. In fact, she was looking after two babies in the high dependency room, called Nursery Two, which was next door. Another nurse, called Shelley Tomlins, was responsible for Baby H in Nursery One. And about an hour later, at around 8.30pm, Baby H suffered a profound drop in her oxygen levels. Her heart rate fell and the doctors were crash bleak to help, which indicated an emergency. Dr Matthew Neem was the registrar on duty that night and he gave evidence that he remembered being called to the neonatal unit early on in his shift. He said that when he arrived, Lucy Letby was alone in Nursery One, giving Baby H rescue breaths with an oxygen mask. The mouth tube which attaches the baby to the ventilator, had been removed. And significantly, he said, he noticed it was blocked with thick secretions. Dr Neem said he took over baby H's breathing support from Lucy Letby before reinserting a fresh tube, which the court heard appeared to solve the problem. His notes, which were written at ten past ten that night, were shown to the jury and they described baby H as stable. And we should make clear here, Caroline, that the prosecution do not say this collapse was due to Lucy Letby and it's accepted that there was a medical cause. But three hours later, when baby H collapsed again, it's alleged Lucy Letby was responsible. Liz, what did the jury hear? Dr Neem told the jury that at four minutes past one, he was fast bleeped because baby H's oxygen levels had fallen again and her heart rate dropped to just 40 beats per minute. This time, the court heard there was no blocked tube or obvious medical cause for the drop in baby H's oxygen levels, and she went into cardiac arrest. Dr Neem said he remembered Lucy Letby was there again, because he had a conversation with her. One of the nurses, he couldn't recall which one, was giving baby H rescue breaths, he said. He took over and changed the tube from her mouth to the ventilator, in case it was blocked, like before. But it wasn't. And when Baby H failed to improve, CPR was started at seven minutes past one. A minute later, Baby H was given a dose of adrenaline. And after around six minutes of intense resuscitation, her heartbeat improved and CPR was stopped. In a statement to the jury, her mother described what happened. An actor has voiced up her words. My husband and I had just gone to bed when there was a knock at the door. Staff came into the room and said that we were needed back with our daughter as she was not responding. I was surprised as she had been fine when we had gone to bed. However, we were met with an almost identical scene. 
There were multiple medical staff working on our daughter inside her incubator. Fortunately, she was not in a collapse as long, and it took less time to stabilise her. Even though Nurse Tomlins was Baby H's designated nurse that night, the jury heard that Lucy Letby was very much involved with her care. They were shown Baby H's medical notes, which showed Lucy Letby's signature next to Miss Tomlins recording medication given to Baby H throughout the night. Lucy Letby also texted a colleague during the shift, saying she was helping Nurse Tomlins with Baby H's treatment. The text was sent shortly before 10pm to a senior colleague, a nurse who was her mentor who we can't name for legal reasons. It said, I've been helping Shelley, so Lee's still involved, but haven't got the responsibility. And in fact, Miss Tomlins gave evidence to the court via video link from Australia, where she now lives. Yes, she told the jury she couldn't remember the night in question, but she admitted that there may have been occasions when she asked another nurse to cover or keep an eye on baby H while she nipped away to go to the toilet or to draw up some medication or to go on a break. So Liz, after this cardiac arrest, which was the second in less than 24 hours, doctors were really worried and they started speaking to doctors at Arrow Park Hospital on the Wirral. Now that's around 30 miles away from Chester. Yes, Arrow Park is a more specialist or tertiary centre, which is capable of looking after very premature and poorly babies. So the decision was taken to transfer baby H there. She was taken by ambulance at around 5.25am that morning. Now Lucy Letby finished her shift at around 10.30 that morning, and as we've heard before, she began messaging her colleagues about the dramatic events of the night before. They start with Lucy Letby messaging Dr Alison Ventress over Facebook, at around 10 past 11 in the morning. Now she was the doctor who'd been on duty during Baby H's first cardiac arrest. The messages are read by actors. Child H had resus again, but not as bad as with us. Went to Arrow. Oh crap, do they know why she did it this time? I'm glad she's been transferred. How are you? Really rough set of nights for you. Kiss, kiss, kiss. No, did exactly what she did for us. Desat, then didn't pick up and dropped heart rate. Looked fine again after though, but made decision to transfer, which I think was sensible. Kiss. Try to think of all the babies you've saved and have gone home happily with their parents. You're a fab nurse. Hope you manage some sleep. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Thanks, Ali. Kiss, kiss. At the same time, Lucy Letby also messages her friend and mentor over WhatsApp. Baby H had recess again but not as bad as with us. Went to Arrow. Oh, blimey. She doesn't like nights. Were you involved? Feel okay? What time did that happen? Wish I'd been there with you. Kiss, kiss. Just before 1am, I think. Had DSATs, then went off and had 7min resus. Not sure why, so gone to Arrow, but looked fine again after. You okay? There's something odd with that child. Hopefully she'll sort herself out. None of us had breaks, what with baby H, transfer, and then this. It's all just so rubbish lately, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like hiding. I think everyone is pretty burnt out, and unit's been awful. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, 
And this is the price of paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow the price of paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Once at Arrow Park, Baby H made a swift recovery. After just a couple of days, doctors managed to stabilize her, take out the chest drains and wean her off the ventilator. Within three days, she was well enough to return to the Countess of Chester Hospital. Her parents both said their daughter seemed like a different baby and came on in leaps and bounds at Arrow Park. Her mother's words have been voiced by an actor. We arrived at Arrow Park on the Sunday. They examined her and the first thing they did was remove the ventilator and reattach it to their satisfaction. Arrow Park did numerous tests to try and establish what had caused the collapse and also gave her a brain scan which fortunately showed she had suffered no long-term damage. It was clear to us our daughter improved dramatically almost as soon as she arrived at Arrow Park. There were no further collapses. Whilst at Chester, her monitor regularly set off alarms. This didn't happen at Arrow Park. Within 24 hours, our daughter was off the ventilator and back on the CPAP machine. This was also only for 24 hours, by which time she had recovered to such an extent that she was sent back to Chester. She was like a completely different baby once at Arrow Park. She was only at Arrow Park for two days and made a dramatic improvement and was transferred back to the Countess of Chester Hospital. After a period of 18 days, our daughter was discharged from hospital on 9th of October 2015. She had several more scans and tests, but has been absolutely fine and healthy ever since. There have been no long-term health issues or complications whatsoever. The prosecution accepts that baby H was unwell after birth, and she had some significant problems. So each time she desaturated, that's when the oxygen in her blood dropped dangerously low. They say there was a medical cause. But during the early hours of September the 26th and 27th, when her heart stopped and she required full CPR, it was because Lucy Letby allegedly sabotaged her care. The prosecution say she was on duty, involved in her treatment and tried to kill her. Lucy Letby denies doing anything to harm Baby H and in court her defence barrister, Ben Myers Casey, suggested the great number of medical procedures Baby H had undergone in her short life would have placed her under enough stress to cause her heart to stop. But the prosecution's expert witnesses, Dr Dowie Evans and Dr Sandy Bowen, who we've heard from before, both disagreed. Dr Bowen told the jury a baby may desaturate briefly after a procedure but repeat procedures would not cause a cardiac arrest. A baby will desaturate in response to an event, she said, but they are not cumulative and it certainly doesn't cause a cardiac arrest. Mr Myers also pointed to a series of mistakes made by doctors who treated baby H after she was born. And Liz, Dr Bowen actually agreed with him on this point. 
Yes, she said some parts of Baby H's treatment had been poor, even hazardous at times. She accepted there'd been a delay in putting Baby H on a ventilator and in giving her specialist medication for her lungs. Dr Bowen also agreed that a needle, which was inserted to draw out the air leaking from her lung, had been left inside her chest for too long and could have made the problem worse. That needle should be removed as soon as possible, Mr Myers said. It has a sharp tip that can tear delicate tissues as the lung expands. It is suboptimal practice, isn't it? Dr Bowen replied, yes, because it's hazardous. So that's the prosecution case relating to Baby H. This week we're delighted to say we've been joined by criminologist Professor David Wilson, who's sometimes described as the real-life cracker. He has had interactions with some of Britain's most violent and dangerous prisoners, including Charles Bronson, Dennis Nielsen, professor at Birmingham City University, where he founded the Centre for Applied Criminology. I actually joined the prison service at 23, straight out of Cambridge University. I literally finished my PhD viva on the Friday, and on the Monday, I was the assistant governor under training at Wormwood Scrubs. So I started by becoming intrigued about crime and punishment. I didn't study criminology. I studied history and philosophy, mm. but I became intrigued about crime and punishment because I played rugby, and in one particular game, I was a winger. I got fouled pretty badly by an opponent, and when we both got up from the ground, I punched him in the nose and broke his nose. And (laughs) everybody everybody at the time, and later in the bar, so did he, congratulated me for what I had done because he had fouled me. It just so happened that same week in the town of Cambridge, a young man who was the same age as me, who committed an offence with no greater use of violence than the violence I had used on the rugby pitch, was sent to Borstal for two years for punching somebody when the pubs were being emptied at closing time in the town of Cambridge. And he got sent to Borstal for two Mm. years. I wanted to know why my violence was different to his violence. And so it was that philosophical basis that encouraged me to become interested in crime and punishment. And then I did the civil service exams, then went through a recruitment process and literally became the assistant governor. My first ever job was assistant governor Mm. under training at Wormwood Scrubs. Not just any old prison. I always say I survived that process as being a, a very young and rather privileged and naive young man by being able to play rugby, back Mm. to rugby. I got picked for the Wormwood Scrub side and scored two tries in my first game. It was a kind of socialization process that allowed me to survive what was a very difficult baptism of fire where I literally was out of my debt. Did you learn anything from when you became an assistant governor and then a governor about justice and the experience you and that other boy had shared or not shared because your experiences were so very different. What did it teach you? Oh, how important class is within the criminal justice system. Um, mm. you know, our prisons are filled today, not with public school boys with qualifications. You know, the average 
reading age of the sentenced male prison population is seven. They are functionally illiterate. Mm. Most have been thrown out of school. That incident was merely a window into how class and privilege and prejudice operate. And did you come across prisoners who you thought, well, I don't actually think they're guilty and that there's a miscarriage of justice here? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a phenomenon that there were a number of people that one encountered whilst I was a prison governor that I thought, my gosh, I don't understand why that person's in here at all. And the most extreme example of that was Stefan Kishko, who I encountered at HMP Grendon, where I was a prison governor. And I'm a big supporter of HMP Grendon. I'm still chair of the Friends of Grendon, the charity that supports the therapeutic work at that prison. And when I first met Stefan Kishko, it was obvious that he couldn't have committed the crime that he'd been convicted of. And thankfully, I can say that uh, Stefan Kishko was eventually exonerated for that crime. But he was just the most extreme example. Because Stefan Kishko died quite quickly, didn't he? It's one of the tragedies. He managed to get out, was given an appropriate amount of money as compensation, but sadly died very soon after his release. And it's one of the real sadnesses about that story that he never really had a life. And what little life he had, he spent in initially, because of what he had been convicted of, maximum security prisons before he was slightly rescued and mm. sent to HMP Grendon, where I encountered him in the hospital unit, which is where we kept him. Almost, you know, it seems strange to talk about humanitarian gestures within prison, but it was a way of trying to protect him mm. um, from other prisoners. The jury has started hearing evidence about the death of the ninth alleged victim in this case, Baby I, a baby girl born at just 27 weeks. Lucy Letby allegedly tried to kill her three times before succeeding on the fourth attempt, something she denies. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence, and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Lucy Letby Trial, or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. And we'll both be back next week. See you then. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. Of course you find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is Everything I Know About Me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. And ashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah... I remember that being really stressful. Everything I know about me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.